Hi, this is John at The Bible Project, and today on the podcast, we continue a conversation about how to read law in the Bible. If you're new to this conversation, I recommend to go back and listen to the first few episodes and catching up. However, if you don't want to, you could also just jump in here because today we're going to look at how all of the laws in the Bible are part of a story that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So what is the story that Jesus saw himself fulfilling? Well, the story begins in a garden. And in the garden, there's a choice represented by two trees. This choice is about two ways to be human. The first one is to take of the knowledge of good and bad. That tree leads to death. The other tree is the tree of life. It's living in relationship with God and his wisdom. Eating of that tree allows us to fulfill our calling to rule the world with God. And that thing that we wanted, knowledge, we get it in relationship with him. In the same way in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom, who gains understanding. She, that is wisdom, is a tree of life for those who take hold of her. And while God's wisdom calls out to us, there's another voice calling out too. It's a power an energy that's both inside of us and outside of us. In the biblical language, it's called sin. It's the propensity to take care of me and mine at the expense of others. It's our self-destructive behavior that enslaves us. It creates chaos and death all around us. And sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through the command, it killed me. Sin took the command, listen and obey, a command that's supposed to lead to life and instead uses that moment to strike. Can you really trust God's goodness? Does he really have your best interests in mind? I mean, you can decide to rule on your own terms. So listen, the Torah is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. But paradoxically, it also opens us up to choose evil instead. N.T. Wright uses the phrase of the Torah, it becomes a magnifying glass that should help us discern more closely the divine will, but it ends up magnifying the human condition like sunlight and burning the family of Abraham. There's gotta be a way past this, a way through death back to life. And that is what Jesus saw himself doing. It's that God loved humanity in its weakness and failure and so punished sin, condemned sin. And now? He gives us the exact same call, to listen and obey, to live by God's wisdom. Yeah, that's the whole point. Humans fully in tune with God through Jesus and the Spirit who know how to listen to his voice and do his will in all the anticipated futures that are yet yet to come. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. The laws in the Bible. Yep. 611 of them, <laughs> which make up a decent portion of the Bible. Yes. That will bore you, confuse you, <laughs> scandalize you. Thrill you. Thrill you. And everything in between. And um, we've been looking at six different paradigms, perspectives of how to think about these that are going to help you mm-hmm. situate yourself understand how to read them, mm-hmm. how to make sense of them. And the last mm-hmm. point was how mm-hmm. to see how they're connected to the whole biblical storyline. Yeah, yeah. 
and that they weren't just inserted into mm. the Bible to say, hey, by the way, God wants you to do some things. Yes. We had to throw them in somewhere. Right. Yeah. So they're, well, sca- they're scattered throughout, right. find them and do them. Yeah, yeah. That they play a very specific role in developing a coherent story about what is it that God w- wants from us? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be uh, human, mm. truly human? Mm. To be in a relationship with God where we listen to his wisdom and his voice and obey it. In fact, the, the, in mm. Hebrew, it's the same word, listen mm-hmm. and obey. Mm-hmm. It's what God asked of Adam and Eve in the garden. Yep. And it's symbolized by not eating of a tree that is us deciding, let's mm. try to make sense of and explain what's good and evil and define what's good and evil on our own terms. Mm-hmm. But what God has wanted is a people that can listen to his voice and by listening to his voice are able to fulfill this kind of partnership yeah. of of ruling That's and right. resting in creation. Yep, yep. And in, in the book of Proverbs, listening to the voice gets translated and equated with the fear of the Lord. Mm, yeah. It's the beginning of knowing, mm. knowledge. Mm, yeah. So it's the same thing from the garden story. Uh, it's just that I I recognize I need some something above me and wiser than me to decide what is absolute good. Yeah, I'm an unreliable <laughs> <laughs> definer of what is good and not good because I conveniently redefine things in my own favor. Yeah, even without knowing it. Conveniently, totally. How can we not? Yeah, so that's the fundamental challenge that the divine command puts before humans. Yeah. Um, yep. This was really helpful in our last conversation. There isn't this sense of, well, there was an old way of God dealing with humans, mm. which is, I'm just going to give you a bunch of things to check off the list. Yeah. You yeah. do it, yeah. you're in. Great. You're saved or, or yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah. You don't do it, eh, you're screwed. And now, and then there's this new way of doing it, uh, which is I want ah. you to like be, listen to my voice and, and be in step faith. with me and have faith. That's right. It always was that. Mm-hmm. So Adam and Eve were called to. That's yep. what Abraham was called to. Abraham listened to God's voice and thereby fulfilled the statutes and commands and the laws of the Torah before they even existed. Yeah. Yeah. So the final two perspectives about the law just kind of carry carry forward. If the laws play a key role in showing the divine ideal, but also exposing the human failure. Yeah. It's pointing you forward to the need for humans who do listen to the voice and the need for a transformation of humanity so that they can be what God has always called them to be. Mm. And that's exactly how the New Testament introduces the story of Jesus Mm. in relationship to the laws specifically. Mm. So this would be the fifth perspective is that the whole purpose of the covenant laws is fulfilled in the story of Jesus and in the coming of the Spirit. The Bible is a unified story, which means that the laws... And their role in the story is fulfilled in the story of Jesus mm. and, and the Spirit. Mm-hmm. How so? So I think in the, in the storyline of the Old Testament, the laws are meant to give people a very clear indicator of the path to life. Mm-hmm. Listen to the voice. Mm-hmm. And you'll find life. That's right. But tragically, the command creates an opportunity for choice. Mm-hmm. And that's what the role of the snake is in drawing attention to the alternative choice. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that becomes a path towards death. Mm. And so, tragically, the thing that God gave his people to guide them towards life mm. 
becomes, when perverted, a tool that leads people towards death. Hmm. The divine command. Are you with me? Well, yeah, or I just mean, uh, you're, uh, yeah. you're processing. <laughs> well, I mean, that sounds like you're summarizing what kind of Paul says. Yeah. My point would be what Paul's doing is summarizing what Genesis 3 is trying to say. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that the introduction of a divine command creates the possibility to fail the command leading to death. But the command, I know, and I've always had a problem with this. Mm-hmm. The command isn't, the command is The command good. is good. It's, it's wisdom, divine wisdom. But, but the command the is necessary based off of the mm. nature of the relationship. Correct, yeah. And so it's the nature of the relationship that creates ah, the problem, mm. not the command. Oh, okay. You're right. Okay, good. Thank you. That's a good point. You're phrasing it the way I think Paul the Apostle is. Paul phrases it. Yeah, yeah, And I've yeah. always kind of been tripped up with that. I understand. I think I understand what he's saying, but yeah. to me it seems not mm. so much about the command makes it so now we can... Mm-hmm. The example is like you tell a kid, don't touch that thing. Now yeah. they want to touch the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that yeah. makes sense. The command is making the kid now realize, oh, correct. well, I have a choice. Yeah. So that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. But behind it is just the nature of this relationship. Of a relationship. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, here we're back to like the nature of God and humans, the image of God. The biblical story depicts the universe as a gracious gift flowing out of God's own love. Mm-hmm. God wants to relate to and share life with and other. Mm-hmm. But to do that, if God could just assimilate all creation into God's own self, like the Borg, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but for the other to truly be an other, mm-hmm. there has to be a degree of freedom and possibility. Yeah. Yeah. So then I have to communicate, here's the way for this to go great. Yeah. But the possibility is that it could not go great. Right. And the command becomes, is the good guideline. Yeah. That's right. That can be... So, so you're right. It's actually, it's the relationship with an other that yeah. creates the possibility yeah. for it to go terribly wrong. Yeah. So it's a, dual, it's a dual role. The good laws that point the way to life also warn you about yeah. mm-hmm. what happens if you don't, yeah. the way to death. Right. And that's actually what happens in every generation <laughs> in the Old Testament story yeah. is they choose their own death. Yeah. And... In relationship to the command. And so the commands that are good, pointing the way to life, end up accusing, condemning, and bringing about death. Especially in, well, yeah, in the day you eat of it, you'll die. Yeah. The command. Yeah. In the laws of the Sinai covenant with Israel, the death outside of the Garden of Eden, the parallel with that is death outside the promised land and exile. Exile, yeah. And so that's where the story of Jesus comes in is that Israel's exile and oppression under foreign empires has been going on for centuries. And so what Jesus presents himself as is the one who is going to bring about the true fulfillment of the Torah, Mm. of the laws of the Torah. He's going to listen to the voice. Mm -hmm. And it's going to bring the laws to fulfillment, which means that humans are going to relate to God in... A new at a new level <laughs> that some people felt like was setting aside the laws. Mm. In his language, he put it this way. This is Matthew 5. He says, don't think I came to abolish or set aside the Torah and the prophets. Mm-hmm. I didn't. That's not what I'm doing. I'm coming to fulfill them. Mm. And fulfill doesn't mean like prophecy, prediction, fulfillment. Mm. Talking narratively here, mm. the whole story mm. points to the need for somebody who will listen to the voice of God and I've open come, up. I've come to do the thing the law has required. Correct. Yeah. And not just the Sinai law, every command from mm. the Garden of Eden onward. Yeah. 
Listen to the voice. Correct. And obey. Yeah. So he says, truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass away from the Torah until all is accomplished. So the laws of the Torah have abiding relevance in helping us understand. When he says all is accomplished, referring to his death and resurrection or referring to new creation? Oh, at least until fulfillment. Fulfillment, I came to fulfill it until all is accomplished. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, death, resurrection, Jesus, spirit, new creation. That's all. all are... That's all yet future yeah. from this moment when Jesus is saying this. Yeah. And those realities will make the written law code. I don't want to paint it negatively because Jesus didn't view it negatively, but it does make it unnecessary. Mm-hmm. In the language of Jeremiah, he says, it, won't ma- it will make it unnecessary. Yeah. So he says, in the meanwhile, whoever annuls the least of these commands and tells others to ignore the laws of the Torah, you'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. But whoever keeps them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You're like, oh, so Jesus is... He's, yeah, high, high view of the law. Amen. Here, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the most extreme Bible nerds of our day. Yeah, and law keepers. You'll be, you'll, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That last statement's important. He's not just saying, I'm here to tell you to ratchet up your observance of the written laws. What he's saying is your right status with God needs to go beyond is going to go beyond up to a whole new level mm. that's connected to me fulfilling the law mm. and accomplishing mm. everything that they pointed towards. Oh, interesting. This is a very dense statement of Jesus, but the whole story outline. So when he says it surpasses that of these Bible nerds, mm-hmm. scribes and Pharisees, he's not saying like do it better than them. Do it fun- it's going to be a fundamentally different. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this is this is the introduction to what's called the six antitheses in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. So you've heard it say, don't commit adultery. Yeah. I've never slept with anyone. High yeah. five. Right. But you stare yeah. at other humans and undress them in your mind every day, yeah. and you're just as guilty before the law. Because the law, Jesus' whole point is, the law of don't commit adultery is just one application of an ideal, yeah. which is don't abuse other humans in your imagination. Mm. In your imagination or with your body. Yeah, just don't abuse humans. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And so in Jesus' mind, it's that ideal that's the ultimate goal. Mm. And so that's what he means when he's – that's an example of when he says your righteousness needs to surpass mm. it that. Needs, it needs to keep all the ideals, not any any specific list of applications. That's right. Yeah. However exhaustive. Yep. It needs to be able to keep the ideal. Yep. Congrats. You've never murdered anybody, mm. but you think you're better – than that guy, your coworker, mm. and you talk poorly about him mm. behind his back. Mm. Jesus is just like, you're kidding me. You think like not murdering him is a major success? <laughs> and in one sense it is. Yeah. yeah. But th- in another th- sense. Thank you for not killing him. Thank you for not killing him, but dude. But you got to love him like you love yourself. Totally. Yeah. That's the, when Jesus says, I came to fulfill the Torah until it's accomplished. The goal is humans who do by nature the d- divine will. Hmm. Yeah. So, paradoxically, Israel is sitting in death in a form of exile Mm -hmm. because of their history of not obeying the Torah. So, here he comes as an Israelite who truly embodies faithfulness to the Torah, even to the act of giving up his own life. Mm. It's like Abraham's test, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but even more intense. Mm -hmm. He's giving up his own life. Mm. And so... Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. He's Abraham and Isaac. In yeah, story. yeah, he is. Yeah. 
So in Romans chapter 7 and 8, here's how Paul, in Romans 7, let's just start Romans 7 verse 7. What should we say? Is the Torah sin? Is the Torah sinful? The law is the problem? Mm-hmm. No way. Mm. No. I wouldn't even know what sin is except by the Torah. I wouldn't know about coveting unless the Torah said, hey, don't covet. It's human nature to so, want yeah. something and take it for myself. So, but here's what's crazy about commands in human nature. And just, he's quoting from Israel's history here, mm-hmm. Ten Commandments. Sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment. Mm-hmm. So he's using a word that was introduced in the Cain and Abel narrative, mm. sin like an animal it's crouching, crouching in, at Cain. And in Genesis 4, that's itself a development of the role of the snake in mm-hmm. Genesis 3. Mm. So he's got the snake mm. and sin on his mind here. It's evil. This. Evil does this crazy thing when you hear the command, all of a sudden inside of me this arises, all these, now I want to covet. Now I know what coveting is. And that it's not good, but I still want to do it. Mm-hmm. And so he says, paradoxically, it's as if the law creates the opportunity. That is his point here. Yeah. So he says, apart from the Torah, sin is dead. Yeah, I, I never understood that. Well, it may be that we shouldn't try and over-principalize his yeah, point. Right. He's making just a narrative observation yeah. about the story of the Old Testament. When you get divine commands, it's immediately followed by people doing the opposite of the divine command. <laughs> And in Genesis 3 and 4, you have these evil agents of the snake and sin who are using, they're like parasites on the command, turning it into evil instead of good. So what do you think he means by sin is dead? Apart from the law, sin is dead. Apart from a command. Apart from a command, you wouldn't know that you're breaking a command. You're just doing what comes naturally. But sin as this animating force Mm -hmm. wouldn't be dead necessarily. No, no. No. But the recognition of sin as sin? The recognition of sin as sin. Mm. Coming under the condemnation of a righteous Mm. authority Mm. to say that is wrong. Mm. Before, humans just covet, take each other's stuff. Yeah. That's not good. Okay. It leads to death. But sin is naming death as an unfortunate evil tragedy. Mm. And that behavior as morally culpable and evil. Okay. Wrong. His point is that when you talk about the right thing to do in a given situation, Mm. you now have the opportunity to decide, I know what's right, but I'm going to do what's wrong. Before, I didn't even, I didn't know it was right and wrong. I just did what feels natural. But it was still wrong, even when you didn't know. It was still wrong. Yes. Yeah. So that's not the thing he's talking about, whether or not... No, but now he's talking about... He isn't, he isn't trying to say, hey, if we didn't have all these laws, we'd all be okay. N- no, that's, that's not, not his, his point. point. Yeah, no. Uh, but with the law, now... Now I know it. You know it, and you're deciding to do it. And you're morally it. responsible for it, and yet you do it anyway. It's the knowledge mm-hmm. of doing wrong. It's knowing good and evil. It's knowing good and evil. Mm-hmm. Well, we've talked about that in two different ways then. Knowing mm. good and evil as... Um, trying oh, to define right. good and evil. Oh, good job, John. <laughs> yeah. And now we're talking about as yeah. the ability to actually yeah. discern, oh, I know what's good, yeah. but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. There are some things that we do that feel very natural Yeah. that might actually be morally inferior. <laughs> yeah, because when we define good and evil on our own terms, and I like how you put it, we will conveniently mm. begin to stack the cards. Yeah. 
in our favor. Right. And we won't even really recognize that we're yeah. doing it. We'll it'll just feel natural. It will feel good. Yeah, it'll feel right. <laughs> yeah. And that is mm. then you'd have to be shown that and you'd be like, what mm-hmm. you're doing is actually wrong. Mm. Paul's point here is when the command comes, mm-hmm. now you have no excuse. You know, mm-hmm. okay, this is good. This is bad. And I find that I still choose what is not good. Uh-huh. But now I n- know that it's not good and uh-huh. I choose it anyway. In Paul's mind, it's this paradoxical role of the divine command. That's his point here is a paradoxical yep. role. A paradoxical double role of the Torah. And by Torah, he means the, the divine commandments. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So he says, I was once alive apart from the Torah, but when the commandment came, sin came alive too, and I died. He's drawing an observation about human nature from the pattern of divine commands in the, in the storyline of the but he Torah. Can't, but he can't be saying that before I was told what to do and not do, I, was, I wasn't sinning. Mm. Oh, got it. Okay. So this has to do with who is the I in um, Romans chapter 7. And this is deep rabbit hole. I have so much homework I would love to do on this. It's at least uh, an Adam and Eve figure. Yeah. But it's talking about Torah. Yeah. So it's also <laughs> yeah. a Israel at Mount okay. Sinai figure. Yeah. And actually, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Paul reads according to design patterns. Yeah. For him... Israel at Sinai is just a replay of Adam and Eve in the garden. Yeah. And so the, I, the idea is I was once in the garden, innocent, didn't know. The command told me what's up. And I think assumed here is we do it anyway. Mm. And so paradoxically, the command that points the way to life activates the power of sin. And yeah. now I'm dead. Okay. And I, so the commandment. I still have, yeah. Which we could was, spend a whole we could, hour we that, could. So I don't, let's keep going. <laughs> the divine commandment, which points the way to life, ended up resulting in death. And sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. For sure, he's got the snake story yeah, yeah, on the brain here. Yeah. And through the command, it killed me. So listen, the Torah is holy. Yeah. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. This is important. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin. Mm by causing my death through the thing that is good, hmm. so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. I, I know this is complicated. This is part of his reason, Paul's reasoning here, yeah. is that the increasing level of divine commands given to the humans mm-hmm. throughout the storyline of the Torah yeah. keeps making humans more and more culpable. Uh-huh. But also, he's making hu- humanity more culpable in the family of Abraham, Think of the storyline. He chooses one family out of the nations. And then the whole point is after the exodus, these people, more than any other people on the planet, should be able Mm. to have motivation to Mm. follow the laws of the Torah. He just pounded Egypt (laughs) before their eyes. But yet they they replay the same human failure. Mm. And it's as if Israel has been chosen to become the microcosm to expose sin and the self-deception for what it really is. That's mm. what he means when he says that sh- sin might be shown to be sin. Mm. N.T. Wright uses the phrase of the Torah, it becomes a magnifying glass mm-hmm. that should help us discern more closely the divine will, mm. but it ends up <laughs> magnifying the human condition like sunlight oh and burning the family of Abraham. Yeah. So when we come to the end of this argument, in, in Romans chapter 8, verses yeah. 1 through 4, yeah. 
It's super dense, but essentially it's sin killed Israel. Messiah came in mm-hmm. to stand in Israel's place and mm. to take Israel's death upon himself. Mm. So he says, therefore, he ends Romans 7 by saying, man, wretched man that I am, wretched human, who can set me free? Yeah. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Messiah. He's the one who set me free. Mm-hmm. So in my heart, I want to serve the Torah of God. But on the other hand, here I am in this body, in this age, mm. where we can't get out of sin. Yeah. Romans 8 verse 1, there's no, therefore now there's no condemnation for those in Messiah Jesus. The condemnation of death that humanity and Israel stood under because of the Torah has been shouldered by the suffering servant Messiah. For the Torah of life, excuse me, the Torah of the spirit of life in Messiah Jesus has set you free from the Torah of sin and death. Remember the Torah points the way to life Mm -hmm. or creates the opportunity for death. Mm. Jesus went down the death road Mm. for you and then gives you the spirit so that you now can use the law as a source of divine wisdom pointing you to life. Mm. Then he says what the Torah couldn't do and he calls it weak through the flesh. Mm-hmm. God did for us, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Here, let me ask this. Who or what is being punished on the cross, according to Romans 8, verse 3? What is being punished on the cross? The law can do because it was weak because of our flesh. And when flesh, meaning our... Our current mode of humanity. Our current ho- mode of humanity, yeah. which is doesn't listen to the voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what the law couldn't do, which is give us, actually be the guideline... Mm for mm. how to listen to the voice. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it because our mode mm. of existence... Mm. It, could, it could be a guideline, but no. it doesn't oh, give yeah. us the power yeah. to do it. Yep. Couldn't help us actually live in, in alignment with God's voice. Mm-hmm. And it's not because it wasn't good. Yeah. It was weakened yeah. by our mode of existence. Right. So the law failed at doing that, but God did that. He listened to his own voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. He yeah. sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, so mm-hmm. as a human, mm-hmm. uh, as an offering for sin. Offering is highlighted there. Yeah. Or uh, italicized. Yeah. It's a dense, it's a Greek phrase, periharmartias. It's the phrase sin offering. Sin offering. Yeah. But it's the word offering isn't there in Greek. It's a part of so the phrase. So I'm supposed to upload all this idea of the... Mm-hmm. Ula, is that what you call it? Oh, the Ola. The Ola. Yeah, the sin offering. Sin yep. offering yeah. of um, a whole something perfect S- and substitute. good. Yep. Substitute. Yep. He condemned sin. So to yeah. answer your question, what was condemned on the cross? Yes. Sin. Sin, yes. Sin was condemned on yeah. the cross. Yeah. In the flesh. So 
not outside of our mode of existence, mm. in, but within our right. mode of existence. Well, whose flesh is on the cross? Jesus. Right. In the flesh of Jesus. In the flesh of Jesus. Yeah. And it was done so that the requirements of the Torah, and the requirement of the Torah is to hear the voice and obey. That can be fulfilled. Yeah. In us. In us. Mm-hmm. That can be fulfilled in us. And how do we do it? We walk according to the spirit, not according to yeah. the, the flesh. flesh. Yeah. A new mode of existence is now available. That's right. Because the spirit is the same spirit who transformed Jesus' flesh into humanity 2.0. And Which is the resurrection, the resurrection human. And that's the same spirit at work in us now in our mortal flesh. Preparing us preparing for, us for the that transformation. mode of existence. Yeah, that's right. This is a super powerful and dense paragraph. But the notion of atonement, substitutionary atonement. Yeah according to Paul, mm-hmm. is not that God hated <laughs> humanity, but instead punished Jesus. Mm. It's that God loved humanity in its weakness and failure, and so punished sin, mm. condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus dying when on I, the cross. And when I see that word, am I supposed to have this whole <clears throat> construct of this like this evil that is within me and outside of me, yeah, and yeah. it's animating, and yes. it's the serpent, it's the, it's the crouching. It's the cosmic tyrant. It's the cosmic tyrant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Yes. And, He's crushing the head of the And the, the cosmic tyrant yeah. is king in my flesh. Yes. That's the mode of existence, yep. is being intertwined with yeah. becoming the, yeah. the beast. Yeah, that's right. So when Paul uses the word flesh, I should mm-hmm. be thinking about... A mode of existence ruled by this cosmic tyrant. Yeah, he doesn't just mean my actual bone and skin. Because Jesus had that when he resurrected. Jesus had that too. Flesh, yeah, is for Paul a a shorthand icon to talk about our whole mode of physical and moral and social Mm. existence in the world. Because for Paul, sin isn't only something that I do, Mm. although that is true. Yeah. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glorious destiny God has for us. But it's also something that looms above and beyond us all, Mm. not just as the product of our decisions, but as like a power over them. Mm. And the inherited generation of humanity's train wreck (laughs) of moral failure, I also inherit and live in the midst of that makes it very difficult for me to listen to the voice of God and Mm. and for you. And Mm. that's the idea. Mm. And so... You know, the image uh, for that on page three of Genesis is the snake mm. that deceives us into redefining good and evil. That's what's being condemned mm. on the cross. Jesus is not being punished on the cross. Mm. The snake is being punished <laughs> in the flesh of Jesus. That's Paul's point. I know it's a small tweak, mm-hmm. but when you don't make that important mm-hmm. clarification, what people hear is God's angry. Yeah. He's going to kill you. But instead, he kills Jesus. That's a much simpler way to think about it than this idea of God condemning the cosmic tyrant yeah, of totally. evil <laughs> within the flesh of yeah, Jesus. Totally, yeah. That just, but it's intertwined because it's precisely the laws of the divine command that are hijacked. <clears throat> yeah, maybe a way to evil. think about this is like the law being good 
actually somehow becomes fuel for this cosmic tyrant. Correct. Within our mode of existence. Within. Our current mode of existence. That's right. The magnifying glass is a cool metaphor, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's also like you could just think of fuel. Like mm-hmm. it was supposed to fuel mm. our ability to listen yeah. and obey. Yeah. Instead, yeah. it becomes fuel Correct. for us to rebel. Oh, that's interesting. And Ah, okay. Let's use fuel analogy, like diesel fuel. Uh-huh. In a diesel engine. Uh-huh. I mean, makes that thing makes go. It, make, yeah. You put Get that somewhere. in a gasoline engine, uh, right? Right. You put that in the wrong vehicle or in a vehicle mm. that isn't made and designed. Yes. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the design. Like, I'm, I always actually had the picture of, like, an uh, old locomotive and uh, they're, like, you're shoveling in charcoal to this furnace or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, it's a battery or whatever. Yeah. If it's connected to something that's not designed to have that fuel yeah. anymore. It, it will have an opposite effect. It just won't work. It won't work. But what sin does mm. is it's even more twisted it takes that mm. and then it turns that into uh-huh. like a combustion <gasps> to like actually take you in a different direction ah oh, wow okay yeah. like yeah it actually yeah no one analogy is going to serve us here but yeah no, that's good that's good yes well i mean if you think about it fuel you can use it yeah. to make a car go correct but you could also mm. dump it on a house and Whoa. burn it to the ground that's right or a person or a person yep yeah it's the energy the possibility yes the energy within within that thing well that's good the divine and, command passes in opportunity yeah. to humans yeah to realize our true calling but it also yeah. provides an opportunity for a deep distortion of that calling it's giving a man a bunch of gasoline and is yeah. he going to make a bomb or yeah. you know is he going to f- yeah. take his family on vacation <laughs> yeah yes yeah right <laughs> whatever totally. like you know yeah, like that's right um, yeah. yeah yeah and there is another agent at work deceiving us so that we make choices for which we're fully responsible uh-huh. and yet also participating uh, with another agent to generate death in ourselves and in the world but there's something about our current mode of existence that's right that yeah. you give us fuel yeah yeah. And we just, we just we won't be able to use it for what it's intended that's right. for. That's right. We'll, we'll use it we, to yeah. to burn things down. Yeah. And that seems like what Paul's point is here is the fuel's mm-hmm. not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that our mode of existence yeah. can't handle yeah. it. Yeah, that's right. We live in a state of giving, alienation from our, our true... It's giving a child a butcher knife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a good tool. Yeah. But like we're not incapable. for this moment. But you get... A universe of new creation humans who are animated by God's own vital breath and Mm -hmm. presence. Now that butcher knife can create a feast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is dense biblical theology is what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. But the point is the laws of the Torah play a really important role in the biblical story. Mm. To expose human failure for what it is, to expose how our failure is actually colluding, <laughs> participating and partnering with a type of cosmic tyrant. Yeah. <laughs> and that the life of Jesus was totally in obedience to the laws of the Torah and its ideals, yet he suffered willingly in an act of love to take our failure and its consequences into himself so that he could pass resurrection life to us, pointing to the new creation. That's mm. Paul's point. Mm. The divine command plays a very important role in the storyline that leads to Jesus.
the last perspective. This can be the shortest. Yeah. The laws are a source of wisdom for all generations. The laws found in the Torah. The 611 laws found in the Torah. They're a source of wisdom. In other words, they don't define the statutory terms of my covenant relationship with God. Mm. My covenant relationship with God is determined by the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus. But they're part of the heritage that we mine. Yes. Yeah. To they're in the scriptures. Find wisdom. And they are ancient pointers to an ideal mm. that I serve to learn from. And you actually find this conception of the laws as wisdom literature within the Hebrew Bible itself. Mm. We call it the book of Proverbs. Hmm. So the language of Proverbs and wisdom, much of it derives, once again, out of the garden narrative. Hmm. <laughs> We've already talked about it, actually. Remember the tree in Genesis 3 is knowing good and evil? Mm -hmm. The tree of knowing good and evil, if you honor it, don't seize that knowing myself. Mm. Let God be the one who knows. Mm. But it needs to stand there as a reminder in the garden. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me that it's all, this is all a gift, mm -hmm. and I receive it by the fear of the Lord. Mm. And then that opens up the pathway to the tree of life, which is in the center. Remember, the tree of life is in the center. Oh, I thought they were both in the center. It says the tree of life is in the center, and then the tree of knowing good and evil doesn't specify. Oh. And so the idea is... Honoring the tree of knowing good and evil is the gateway to the hmm. tree of life. Hmm. In the same way, in the book of Proverbs, hmm. the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing. Hmm. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's Proverbs 1, verse 7. This is good. Proverbs, this is from Proverbs chapter 3. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom, who gains understanding. She, that is wisdom, is a tree of life. Hmm. For those who take hold of her, happy are those who hold her fast. So think, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing. So that means finding wisdom mm. means access to the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a gate. It's a gate. Yep. It's a, you walk past it. Yeah. And by walking past it. And not without, taking it. Without taking it. Yeah. Another way to think about that is fearing the Lord. Mm -hmm. That there's yeah. something that's more important to you than what looks good in that moment. Yeah, that's right. Ooh, that that's you could good. pass under something that yeah. is desirable yep. in your own understanding. It's desirable. But I you want it. You want it. I'm not going to take it. But because of mm. a greater fear, yeah. respect, awe, understanding of something much bigger, yeah. you can gracefully walk underneath of it, yeah. past it. Yeah. And th that is called the fear of the Lord, and it's also called wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> and when you live by the fear of the Lord and have wisdom, you grab the tree of life. Mm. Yeah. You get the tree that you are supposed to grab. <laughs> Which yeah. does give you knowledge. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the man who gains understanding is the one... You, you gain understanding. You gain, yeah. You, yeah the, you get real knowledge. Real knowledge. Re the real knowledge is the gift of God's own life and love. The point of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil isn't like, hey, I don't want you to know yeah, good and evil. That's right. Yeah. It's I want you to yeah. know it on yeah. in this relational way. By my wisdom. By yeah. my wisdom. Yeah. And you will get it. You'll get it. Yeah, that's right. You'll get what you really want. Yeah. Precisely by not taking what you want. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Right? That's the paradox. Yeah. This is a big theme in C.S. Lewis writings, right? Mm. Is we are too easily satisfied. Yeah, right. Yeah. And taking from the tree, mm. what's that line? We like mud puddles. We're sitting in the presence of like a table full of pies, and mm. we're down in the mud yeah. making mud pies. Yeah, and we're like these mud pies look good. These are great. Yeah, totally. So the Book of Proverbs presents all the divine command in terms of 
Garden of Eden imagery. Mm. Look at this. Wisdom is the equivalent of fulfilling the Shema command in Deuteronomy. This is really cool. Mm. Let's read Proverbs 6 and just listen for the language of the Shema command. Okay. Uh, the father says in Proverbs 6, My son, keep the commandment of your father. Mm -hmm. Don't forsake the Torah of your mother. Bind them, that is the commandment in the Torah, bind them on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they'll watch over you. When you wake, they will talk to you. Almost every line here is adapting language from mm. the Shema. So here in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, the command is, Hear, O Israel, mm -hmm. the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your life, and all your muchness. <laughs> These are the words that I command you. Mm. Let them be on your heart. Mm -hmm. Teach them to your children when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your head. Write them on your doorpost. So in other words, what in Proverbs 6, the, the divine command from God to Israel is being reconfigured as the heritage of the covenant of elders mm. being passed from the parents to their children. Mm. So your parents teaching you the fear of the Lord is mm. the equivalent of Yahweh no. commanding Israel at Mount Sinai. Mm. And that makes sense. When you look at it from the customary law code kind of oh, sure. paradigm, yeah, that's it's right. all part of the tradition. It's all, it's wisdom. It's wisdom. It's our, yeah, that's, got, yeah, that's a good way You got wisdom over it. here, which is the specific laws that Moses had. Yeah. And then you've got the wisdom over here of mm -hmm. your parents who yeah. are God-fearers who are passing it down. Yeah, and, um And the stories they're telling you and the that's commands right. they're giving you. Yeah, that's right. So, t this is the perspective that I think opens up the laws for followers of Jesus. Mm. You can see Jesus doing it in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. He'll, he'll read the Ten Commandments, mm. don't murder. You'll see the ideal behind it. And he looks for the ideal, the wisdom, mm. the divine wisdom ideal underneath it. Mm. When Paul, the apostle in 1 Corinthians 9, quotes, don't muzzle the ox mm -hmm. while he's treading grain, mm -hmm. and then he starts talking about reimbursing people who plant churches <laughs> yeah, so that they can like make a living yeah. and plant the church. Yeah. So he's discerning a, a wisdom principle. This divine principle behind this yeah. very specific mm -hmm. rule application. of application of not muzzling yeah. an ox. That's right. And this isn't a new idea. This is actually goes back to the very concept of laws mm. in, in ancient Israel anyway. Mm. Right. Common law. That they Testament. were a thing to help you then discern wisdom. Yeah, in new and different circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So there you go. Those are the perspectives. I tried to summarize in the last thing how to read the laws in the Old Testament. Yeah, okay. It's just so restating now, what we so did. So now you're, you're reading a law. Yes. You're getting to these, Yep. one of these 600. Yeah. And then what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, first of all, look at the immediate literary context. Okay. What section what of... What story came before it? What story yep. came after it? Yep. What part of the story, of the big story is it in? Yep. Yeah. What is it in, in the immediate context? What larger part of the Torah does this law fit within? Uh, second, go get Joshua Berman's book, yeah. or Jeremiah Unterman's, um, or, you know, it's public domain. Go read the Code of Hammurabi, mm. you know, let's take you an afternoon. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's the digital age. You uh -huh. know, go read the laws of Eshnunna. 
if you want, um, or read the experts who have, and then compare related laws in uh, the Torah with their Mm. ancient counterparts. Mm. Three, uh, line up your your buckets of Mm. the each all the sets of related laws across the six hundred eleven form a pretty short list of core theological symbolic claims, Mm. theological claims or ideals that you can see each law riffing off of and developing in a different way. Yeah. Four, this is actually related. Mm-hmm. It's as you do, as you look for those buckets, you are, what you're after is a wisdom principle mm-hmm. underneath the laws that you can take that principle and apply it in new ways that the biblical authors wouldn't have imagined. Yeah. And then the third part is see every ref- refract, filter every law <laughs> through Jesus' summary of the whole point is humans who love God and love mm. their neighbor. Mm. Um, the ultimate distillation. Of which he was the one who did it on our behalf yeah. so that we can become what he what he is. I could have just said that at the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> five, five hours ago or whatever. But uh, And then also, <laughs> wouldn't you add, like, do this in participation with God who is mm. within you? Oh. You know, like, yes. as you're applying, because you've got the discern the wisdom and apply uh, it to yeah. other contexts. Okay. You're saying through the spirit. Yeah, it's like there's yes. this cooperation with the spirit. Thank you. You're right. Actually, yeah, that's in those last two points. Yeah, the idea is through God's spirit in the story of Jesus, there's a universe of possibilities for how God's wisdom can guide us into new unrealized futures. Yeah. Um, there could never be enough ra- laws written mm, to anticipate every yeah, situation right. you're going to be yeah, in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, good. That's why a law code is never in itself sufficient. The point is to create people who are wise, mm. who can know what God's will is, discerning God's will. That's Yeah, that's the whole point. Humans fully in tune with God through Jesus and the Spirit who know how to listen to his voice and do his will in all the anticipated futures that are yet, yet to come. Is this why Jesus um, says, like, I only do what... Oh, yeah. What does he say? Yeah. Yeah. No, in the Gospel of John, this is a major motif. Yeah. Jesus is, he listens to the Father. He does what his Father says. Yeah. He is, God becomes the first human <laughs> who truly lives by God's voice and will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, what's the biblical story, man? It's so amazing. Yeah. There you what, go. What's the, what's the thing that he says? He says, I only do what I see the Father doing or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, well, when he heals on the Sabbath, yeah. he says, I'm working. Because the Father's working. Because my Father's working too. But there's also multiple points where he says, I only do what yeah. my Father tells me to do. Yeah. He He's lives, listening. He lives by the voice. He, lis- he lives yeah, by the like, voice. Like Abraham did once. <laughs> like Abraham did once, Jesus did Jesus continually. did perpetually. Yeah. And is what right. we can have access to through the Spirit. Correct. Yeah. That mode. That mode of existence. Yeah. Yeah, man. The laws. The laws in the Old Testament. Who knew that there was so much goodness? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bible Project Podcast. This was the last conversation about how to read the law in the Bible. Next week, we're going to do a question and response episode. So you can send your questions to info at jointhebibleproject.com. Let us know your name, where you're from, and record some audio of you asking your question. Try to keep it to around 20 seconds. The Bible Project is a nonprofit organization. We're in Portland, Oregon. We believe that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. So we make resources that show the literary structure of the Bible, all the themes that unite it. 
and were able to make everything for free because of the generosity of thousands of people like you who contribute to this project. We're incredibly grateful. So thanks for being a part of this with us. Hi, this is Nasser al Ghattani, and I'm from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Marhaban, ana Nasser al Ghattani, wana min al Mamlaka al Arabiya Saudiya. I first heard about the Bible Project through a friend of mine. I love it. I think it's a great tool for uh, teaching people the big picture story of the Bible, and I love how accessible it is uh, to people from all walks of life. We believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. We're a crowdfunded project by people like me. Find free videos, study notes, podcasts, and more at thebibleproject.com. <laughs>